Hello, listeners, and welcome to the ninth episode of the Always Drive podcast, your weekly look at the latest news from the car, truck, and motorcycle industries, where we take ourselves about as seriously as everyone does Volkswagen's apology for Dieselgate. I'm your host, Devlin Riggs, and if you're new to the show uh, after our syndication a couple weeks ago on iTunes, welcome. Uh, it has been a little more than two months that I've been doing this, but I'm still looking for your feedback and to know what works and what doesn't. So please let me know in the comments. Uh, this week we had the Geneva Auto Show, which means there are way more new cars than I can possibly fit into one podcast. So let's get right into it with the news. So the big story this week was, of course, Peugeot Citroen DS, the PSA group, agreed to pay $2.3 billion to take Opel and Vauxhall off GM's hands. GM is going to give the French carmaker $3.2 billion to cover future Europe pension obligations and will keep managing $9.8 billion worth of plans for existing retirees. Um if you do the math there, it certainly looks like GM paid PSA to take Opel and Vauxhall off its hands, but if you look at the history, it really sort of makes sense for them to do so. Uh, the European business for GM has lost them about $9 billion since 2009, and by dropping its European business, GM hopes to improve profit and cash flow. Execs at GM said that they decided to sell Opel because Europe's changing geopolitical and regulatory climate demands more time and investment when they see a greater need to focus on North America, China, and emerging technologies like autonomous vehicles. So <clears throat> what we can expect here is Chinese and engineering and design centers will be leading the development for most of Buick's passenger cars, which were based on Opel's previously. Korea may also become GM's engineering center for compact and subcompact vehicles. Uh, GM's Chinese and Korean tech centers will have to grow up really fast, according to IHS Automotive senior analyst Stephanie Brindley, uh, to keep up with what they had been getting from Opel in Europe. PSA, however, is hoping to get economies of scale by acquiring Opel and Vauxhall or as uh, CEO Carlos Taveras said, industrial logic, which, yeah, whatever that means. If you'll recall from the podcast last week, uh, PSA was hoping to get GM's Bolt technology, and while that was not explicitly part of the deal, uh, the two companies did announce that they planned to collaborate on EVs uh, to try to gain a competitive edge in uh, a very competitive market. Um, and while GM's Buick brand will still rely heavily on Opel, um, PSA will continue to supply those vehicles. So all you really hoping to get your hands on an Opel Astra uh, with a Buick badge on it will still be in luck. Um, unfortunately, GM has also announced this week that it is going to be laying off 1,100 employees at its Lansing Delta Township assembly plant in Michigan coming up in May. Um, the cuts are coming after GM's promise to invest uh, about a billion dollars in U.S. factories. But last November, the company also announced 2,000 job losses in Lordstown, Ohio, and the Lansing Grand River plants, um, which started at the beginning of this year. Um, 
though GM did add about 8,000 jobs last year, so the news isn't all bad, and they do intend to bring up more production from Mexico, but we'll, we'll see if that results in more jobs or just more automation. Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker warned this week that uh, the automation of semi-tractor trailers would uh, potentially lead to uh, millions of job losses uh, because that industry employs more than 1.6 million Americans to drive tractor trailers and heavy trucks, um, and a further 826,000 people drive light trucks or are employed in uh, delivery services. So while these autonomous self-driving trucks can really improve safety on the roadways, uh, that sort of benefit could be offset by uh, the job losses uh, in that sector. Uh, several automation companies are now working on technologies. I think there are about five or six of them that have different technologies, and they've been completing successful trials on the roads in states that will allow it. So this isn't an immediate threat, but truckers need to be on the lookout for other opportunities where they can uh, sort of apply their skills uh, outside of actually driving the vehicles. Uh, the Secretary of Transportation, Elaine Chow, commented on the story uh, that her department and the Department of Labor would have to look at ways to try to transition people whose jobs were displaced by autonomous tech. So that'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Um, if you guys were trying to guess who got sued this week, um, you and you guessed Faraday Future, you would be right, because uh, they get sued pretty much every week now. Um, apparently, uh, the lawsuit filed says that Faraday Future failed to pay another contractor for work. This one was an electric company for work at the automaker's headquarters in Gardena, California, and they're seeking $580,000 from Faraday Future, which I think at this point is probably like trying to get blood from a stone. Anyway, uh, Mercedes have recalled a million cars due to fire risk, which, um, I mean, who do they think they are at this point? Ferrari? Uh, apparently 51 cars have caught fire due to defective fuses, um, <laughs> which is a pretty bad thing to get wrong. Um, so C-Class, E-Class, CLA cars, and GLA and GLC SUVs from 2015 to 2017 are all going to be part of this recall. So if you own one of those, be on the lookout for the letter uh, in the mail, and hopefully they will have your part before you uh, go up in flames. Tesla uh, revealed this week through its new 10K filing um, that a beta prototype for the Model 3 has not been put out on the road just yet, which uh, is a big problem considering that production is supposed to begin in July at their Gigafactory. Uh, typically, it takes about six to seven months to complete the process of data, beta testing cars, and we've seen the alpha testers, but they may just skip this prototype phase altogether and go straight from prototype into production. Honestly, uh, Tesla fans are so rabid to get one, and their early fans might be willing to put up with some sort of delays or quality issues, and we've seen that with early Model S cars and Model X cars. The, the early ones were really terrible and had awful reliability, but consumers are willing to pay a premium to have a Tesla because of the social cachet that comes with that badge. And 
uh, my concern here is that at a lower price, at this $35,000 asking price, will consumers who want a reliable form of transportation be willing to put up with the quality issues like we saw in the Model S and X? Or would they be better off going with the Chevy Bolt, which equals or exceeds the Model 3's range, beat it to market, and is getting good reviews? But it's still a Chevy. I think for me, I go with the Chevy, honestly. Uh, the sales figures for Jaguar have revealed that the F-Pace, uh, since its debut, has made up more than half of all of Jag's sales uh, since last year. And the new E-Pace, which is a compact crossover, um, expected to be is, ex- is expected to be their best-selling vehicle, and it'll compete with the Audi Q3 and the BMW X1, which makes sense because there's nothing hotter right now than compact crossovers. Uh, it'll be similar, the uh, E-Pace, in size to the Land Rover Evoque and the Discovery Sport, with which it shares a platform. Jag also plans to introduce a J-Pace, which will be larger than the F-Pace and compete with the large Infinities and Audis and gargantuan Mercedes of the SUV world. Um, there's also going to be a new I-Pace, which will be all-electric and will seek to change Jag's brand, like I talked about a couple weeks before. Um, you know, the fewer moving parts in a Jag, probably the better. Um, okay, let's move on to some new cars uh, from the Geneva Auto Show. <laughs> First, in terms of beauty, is the Aston Martin Valkyrie. Uh, this was a uh, the production sort of version of a concept called car called the AMRB001. Uh, it's a mid-engine halo car that um, Aston bosses uh, saying will start a new range of super awesome mid-engined. Uh, Aston Martins. Of course, this would complement the normal Grand Tourers with the engines up front and rear-wheel drive. Um, CEO Andy Palmer has huge plans for Aston Martin to go after all sorts of luxury vehicle markets, including SUVs and super high-performance, what he calls emotional cars. Um, He says you'd never see something like a sporty Rolls-Royce or Bentley, though with the Continental GT you sort of have that, Uh, but they don't have anything... Like the uh, like this Valkyrie, but he says that Aston doesn't have uh, these handcuffs tying them to a specific type of vehicle, so they're just going to go out and try to compete on all fronts. So you know how could that go wrong? Bentley though uh, has released uh, a, a new concept car called the EXP Speed Six. Uh, this is all electric and apparently could drive from London to Paris on a single charge, which is the equivalent of about 200 or 250 miles. Uh, it's, it's really gorgeous. It's a long, sloping convertible, and it looks like the Mulsanne in the front, so it has a bit of a cross-eyed type of uh, look to it, um, which, you know, is fine if you're into that thing. Uh, the concept itself had a, a red velour-looking interior with a wild U-shaped steering wheel that has buttons on the top um, that are speed boosters uh, to add extra power down to the wheels on demand. Uh, This really looks like a video game controller, uh, so maybe uh, practice on those for a while. There's going to be no word on production uh, of that EXP Speed 6, but uh, if 
everything goes to plan, hopefully we'll start seeing more cars like this that uh, feature electric power but are bonkers. Um, Tata, the maker of the Nano microcar from India, has uh, released a new brand and a new car. The new brand is called the Tamo, and the new car is called the Racemo. Um, It's apparently... (laughs) Uh, a three-cylinder, 1,200cc engine uh, mounted in the middle of the car. It's rear-wheel drive and putting out 190 horsepower. So uh, think of it sort of like a mid-engine BRZ. Um, Tata describes it as fidgetal, which is mixing physical and digital, which I'm not sure matters. It looks aggressive. I mean, it looks like it came out of an anime film, like Akira or... It could t- turn into a Gundam if it wanted. It's a really neat-looking car, but the Tata Tamo Racemo just does not inspire really positive thoughts about a performance vehicle. In actual performance vehicle news, the McLaren 720S also debuted this week. This is the new version of the 650S with much better aesthetics as well as aerodynamics and power. The all-new 4-liter uh, twin-turbo V8 uh, has a hugely uh, tall red line at 8,500, uh, and it's been honed in parts to sound good, um, which I think if you buy a car like the McLaren 720S, you're, part of the experience is aural, uh, and you don't want to have something like uh, sound pumped into the cabin. So I'm really happy that they put the time into to doing that with the exhaust. Uh, the 720S will go um, 0 to 60 in 2.8 seconds. And uh, if you look at it, the doors are kind of similar to the old F1, which I think is a pretty cool holdover. Um, they will be uh, $256,000, so just start saving your pennies about 20 years ago. Uh, <clears throat> finally, um, the Vanda Dendrobium. Uh, it's a car that's just about as hard to look at as it is to say um we're told that if this is built the production car would have all-wheel drive uh about 1500 horsepower and go zero to 60 in 2.6 seconds and reach 200 miles an hour it looks like a, a futuristic aggressive carbon fiber sort of predator but the the interesting thing is that this is singapore's first ever hyper car So it's nice to see that there are new companies out there sort of pushing the envelope in terms of design and development. I just wish they were a little bit easier to pronounce. Um, So those are the sort of top lines from the uh, Geneva Auto Show. So we're going to jump in right now to our deep dive. I may not be all that old, but I am very nearly as old as the first minivan, which came out in 1983. Prior to this time, your choice in vehicle type consisted basically of sedans, coupes, SUVs, full-sized vans, and pickup trucks. There were a few wagons and hatchbacks here for the quirky folks, and AMC was the real pioneer in thinking differently for cars. 
but buyers were almost exclusively restricted to the three-box design. Front clip, passenger compartment, and trunk. We got some great versions of these types of cars, and almost everyone's needs were met, but perhaps not their wants. To satisfy the different wants of consumers, we saw the rapid growth of badge engineering, which is making the same vehicle but putting a different car company's name and logo on it, and selling it with slightly different feature set. You couldn't endlessly customize cars back then, and the manufacturing process made it difficult to break out of the traditional three-box mold. This led to an expansion of brands and trim levels, but still kept the same type of car models. It wasn't just the technology that limited car makers, though. They argued that it wasn't economically feasible to make a station wagon with 500 horsepower or an all-wheel drive muscle car because there simply wouldn't be enough buyers to warrant the research and development, engineering, and production modifications necessary to facilitate such a car's construction. Instead, they said, please try out this Cadillac Cimarron. Sure, it's the same basic car as the Chevy Cavalier, Buick Skyhawk, Oldsmobile Firenza, and Pontiac Sunbird, but it's a caddy, so you know it's good. But people weren't fooled. Like everything else, though, times change, technology changes, and consumers change. As virtual design and drafting replaced the traditional methods, development costs came down. Some alpha testing could be performed virtually, which took a lot of the guesswork out of design, and we started seeing shorter development cycles for cars. 3D printing allowed manufacturers the freedom to create designs previously thought to be impossible. Car companies began conceding that, okay, there might be a market for a 500-horsepower wagon or an all-wheel-drive muscle car, so we got the CTSV and the Dodge Challenger GT. Badge engineering has, for the most part, fallen by the wayside, although the United States will see some Buicks and Chevys that may be Opals or Holdens in other countries, we won't see five cars that are essentially the same from the same manufacturer competing with one another in the same country for sales anymore. Technical partnerships and platform sharing means cars like the Infiniti QX30 and Mercedes GLA are essentially the same car, but they maintain enough functional and stylistic differences to be mostly distinct. All of this has resulted in a generation of cars that provides the greatest ever variety of options to prospective buyers. Some brands like BMW have something for almost literally everyone, short of those requiring a pickup, gargantuan SUV, or backhoe. They have the 3 Series sedan and the 4 Series, which is a coupe version of the 3 Series, or you can get the 4 Series Grand Coupe, which is a sedan version of the coupe version of the 3 Series. You can also get the slightly larger 5 Series sedan or the 5 Series GT, which is not actually a Grand Tour, but a 5 Series merged with an X5 for a slightly higher ride height and more cargo space in an ugly-looking package. If a 5 Series merged with an X5 isn't your thing, you can always get the X6, which is an X5 merged with a 6 Series. It took the ride height of the X5, combined it with the impracticality of a large four-door coupe, to end up with something truly Frankensteinian. What did BMW get from this? Well, they sold 7,117 X6 models to folks in the U.S. in 2016, which is about a quarter of the number of Nissan Rogue sales just for February of this year. Every time I see an X6, I think, what type of person buys that car? Yet there are clearly more than 7,000 of those types of people just last year. 
So it's not the case that BMW is making a car for nobody. It's giving people what they want because they can make money doing so, and because people can afford to buy them. I'll be honest that I don't like the X6, or the Mercedes GLC, or any number of cars mixed with SUVs, or cars mixed with other cars, mixed with other cars that are for sale out there, because I think they're irrational image machines. If you want an SUV that handles like a sports car, tough luck. SUVs aren't sports cars. That's why they make both of them. Any car that tries to combine two will undoubtedly wind up with compromises that make it worse than either an SUV or a sports car. Crossovers fall into this category too. You want to cross over a compact SUV for the ride height and to look like you're capable of going off-road and being rugged, but for the handling of a family sedan. Tough luck. There's a reason Toyota Camrys and Jeep Wranglers look different. They were designed for fundamentally different things too. And no, your Accord Cross Tour cannot tackle Moab on the weekends. But just because I don't like them doesn't mean they shouldn't exist. And honestly, I'm glad they do. These crossovers and strange mashups will never be the best at what they do because they're designed to try to do too much. And due to things like cost control, aesthetics, and sometimes physics, they will fall short of vehicles designed for a more specific purpose. But they do provide people the freedom of choice and the opportunity to buy a car that, while it may not be perfect, may be perfect for them. In a generation of selfies and Facebook profiles where individuality and personalization is king, at least we have a generation of cars that fits us perfectly. Now, we're already more than 20 minutes into the podcast, and I didn't get to many of the cars from the Geneva Auto Show. Uh, it was such a huge show. I just don't know how we're going to be able to fit everything in. Oh, shit. I know what we're going to do. We're going to wrap up the Geneva Auto Show for you bitches. Let's go. The new Toyota Yaris, yeah that's the right thing It's basically the old one with the modern look Same power, same features, nothing off the hook Or is it off the chain? Man, I don't know Getting warmed up, but hold your horses. This lyrical dinner has many courses. If you think you're confused, your ears don't deceive you. We're talking about the brand new cars from Geneva. The XC60's a brand new Volvo. Just like the XC90, but a little bit small though. It's still quite nice looking all around. It seems like the sweetest swag has finally been found.
So they've come up with some new cars they hope you won't hate. The Cedrix, an electronic autonomous van. And for a sexy four-door coupe, the Airden's your man. The Toyota i-Trill is a weird little ride. An autonomous EV with no pedals inside. Now we're getting expensive, so prepare yourself. Grab that piggy bank from off the bookshelf. Here come the cars for a rockstar or a diva. We're talking about the brand new cars from Geneva. The Infinity Q60 Black S Hybrid. Uh, who drooled on this keyboard? Oh wait, I did. It's a 500 horsepower turbo V6 and a Kurs hybrid motor that really kicks. There's a new Lamborghini, the Aventador S. It's faster and smarter, a new height of excess. Porsche claims there's a new GT3, but damn, it sure looks like the old one to me. The Roof CTR, now there's something new. With a yellow bird whale tail, it's powerful too. But with 700 horses and real light weight, the zero to 60 time still isn't great. The Italians, though, they went nuts at this show. Pin and Farna had two new cars and they're not slow. The H600 is a turbine hybrid. The Fittipaldi EF7's got me excited. Itel Design also showed their new Zero Uno. It's like an Audi R8 for a reference that you know. A new diesel-fueled turbine-charged supercar maker. Tech rules Ren is like a techno hate maker. The SCG003C makes rhyming really, really hard on this one for me. It's 800 horses of endurance racer that'll make Lamborghini the Nurburgring record chaser. Koenig's got a new expensive RS Griffin. Has a price so high, it'll make your body stiffen. The Vengeance Volante is a cool sounding name, but just get the Aston DB9, it's the same. And while we're on the subject of expensive Astons, they have a new sub brand if you want more action. The AMR Vantage and the AMR Repeat promise hardcore performance and ridiculous speed. That's it, that's over. I covered them all, which is good because I've kind of hit a lyrical wall. So wake up everybody from your music anesthesia. This was a rap about the cars from Geneva. And with that, thank you bitches for listening. And thanks to Nicholas Falcon for our intro song. Thanks to me for mixing this sick beat. It was your moment of zen. See you next week. Peace.